BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Banacaram, here to announce a new season of our show in retrospect, which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart from the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan loving Golden Girls. Listen to in retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. Uh, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right, it's unjust, and Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out, or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE, or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer, they will help you out. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Can you feel it in the air and ask 
Dr. Jesse Friday today. Maybe going to be the best ass Dr. Jesse Friday ever. And it's not because of me. Well, I take that back. It's 100% because of me. But if I have to give anyone else credit, the questions today from you were awesome. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We have vaccine passport questions. Taiwan questions. How long have we been demoralized? We have talk about stuffed crust pizza. We are going to be all over the place today, and there are a lot of them. So I am going to jump right into the history story. I'm not going to rush it, but I'm not going to drag it on either. There's simply too much fun to have. What, Chris? I'm going to be really fast today. I can feel it. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. I'm going to be super fast. It's I could it, it's it's in the air. <laughs> All right. For you new people to the Jesse Kelly show, you should understand this. Every day is similar to this, but not the same. Ask Dr. Jesse Friday does not consist of me stacking up a list of headlines and major stories and giving you my opinion on them. I do some of that the rest of the week, although I've been known to get sidetracked and talk about random things from time to time. But ask Dr. Jesse Friday, we do it differently. It's all about your phone calls, your emails. They do not have to be political. Yes, you can send them while the show is going on. All the emails go right to Jewish producer Chris. He checks them throughout the show, prints them, and we rock and roll, baby. Let's forget about all that for now. Let's go over to a place we discussed briefly yesterday, a place called Taiwan. When I found out there was something there called the White Terror, I thought that sounds right up my alley, right up my alley. What was the right, the White Terror? Well, let's pause and rewind just a little bit. First of all, Japan. I don't have to go over that again because I think I just did it yesterday or the day before. Japan had risen up and was taking colonies. Japan was taking places over. They advanced rapidly and were better than everyone around them. And part of taking things over meant taking over Taiwan. So Japan had stomped into Taiwan, which they were very much their own people, the Taiwanese people. Japan stomps in there and says, this is ours now. But... I need you to think about this Japanese occupation a little differently than you've thought about the other ones. Japan was obviously notoriously horrible to the places they occupied. And I mean, unspeakably bad, medieval stuff, absolutely terrible. That wasn't necessarily the case in Taiwan. Why? Well, Taiwan, small as it is, is just a valuable industrial center. The location is incredibly important if you're fighting a war or doing anything in that part of the world. It's prime real estate. Japan knew this, and no, they didn't view the Taiwanese people as being equal to Japan. They didn't think highly of them, but they knew we can't just come in here and rape and pillage this thing. We need this island to run like a well-oiled machine. And Japan ran it like Japan. 
One, they nationalized a bunch of the industries when they were there, which that was just something Japan believed in. Of course, that's not what art what we believe, and it's generally terrible. But the the the, the major industries nationalized: sugar, mining, the cigarettes, whatever the big industries were. Japan put their government officials in charge of them, and they just kept Taiwan running pretty well. I don't want to sit here and pretend all the Taiwanese people were like, woohoo, this is awesome. It wasn't that, but it wasn't what the Japanese people did to the Philippines either. It wasn't quite that either. Now, let's set Japan aside for a moment. Just know that they were there for a long time. Let's go to a little place called China. China is going through it during this period of time. Think 1900 to 1950. That's not exact, but that's roughly the time period we're in. This is that period of time in China where the old emperors are gone. They no longer have a king. They are now divided is putting it mildly. And I mean mildly. There are warlords who run much of the country, depending on which part of it you're in. On top of the warlords, you have the growing, obviously despicable communists who are rising under a man maybe you've heard of before, Mao Zedong, and others. It wasn't like he was the only one there, but he was part of the leadership. And you have a huge nationalist party, and this is actually going to be important for our story uh, I pronounce it the wrong way because I pronounce everything in Mandarin the wrong way, but it was essentially the Kuomintang. It's the Nationalist Party. I'm just going to call them the Nationalists from now on because I just embarrassed myself once on national radio. I don't intend to do it twice. The Nationalist leader was Chiang Kai-shek. And I'm not going to give you any more names today. You don't have to worry about that, but just know the dirty commies under Mao the nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek, and a bunch of warlords. And they're all fighting all the time right now in China because their ancient system had collapsed and people were vying for control over this mega, mega, mega powerful place. Eventually, this nationalist versus commie thing kind of works itself out for a little while as they get together, Chiang Kai-shek, goes to the commies. I mean, frankly, I don't want to go into the story. He was kidnapped and forced to go to the commies. And they agree, hey, uh, the Japanese are really going to be a problem. Surely we can go murder some of them before we go back to murdering each other. And they come to an agreement, and they do. They kind of join hands, fight the, fight the Japanese, kick them out. But as the, the, the nanosecond Japan is gone, they go back to fighting each other for control of China. I don't know if we screwed up here, but this really is a huge part in human history and the history of the world. Post-World War II, Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists fighting the Chinese communists. We were obviously in Chiang Kai-shek's corner because he was all about that, well, kind of, as we'll find out, all about that more free capitalist life, commies suck. I mean, if you're one of these guys who looks back on the people who killed communists as good people, Chiang Kai-shek should probably have a poster on your wall because he killed more than any of them. And I mean, he probably killed a million of them. 
sometimes in combat, sometimes in, I mean, horrible fascist purges. But Chiang Kai-shek was not a fan of communism, to put it mildly. Historically, we were tired of war. We were out of money. It probably would have been better, though, if we had gone all in and made sure Chiang Kai-shek was able to win this civil war because this Chinese civil war between the communists and nationalists was a massive bloody affair. And the fact that the communists ended up winning it was a big, big, big deal. A big, think of, think how that has changed the world to this day. We're at, we're at each other's throats, us in China, us in the dirty commie Chinese, but let's go to the war ending part. First, the war ends world war two ends But that doesn't end the Chinese Civil War. Still have commies and nationalists. The Allies are now divvying things up. It's a time to divvy things up. Taiwan gets divvied. We have that. Ask Dr. Jesse questions and Dave Reboy coming up next hour. Hang on. stocky follow like and subscribe on social at jesse kelly dc i hated quitting dipping dipping tobacco I, I, I did it for years i'm not perfect you well know this if you listen to the show and quitting really really stunk because i tried all the wrong moves i mean all the wrong moves i tried the traditional route you know i'd see about a, a put a patch on your arm on tv well that didn't do anything for me i needed I didn't need nicotine. I needed something in my lip. And then I tried bubble gum. I I, I tried it all. Just know this. I tried it all. You need, or at least I certainly needed, a transition out of it. I couldn't just stop. Jake's Mint Chew is perfect. Perfect because it puts something in my lip, but it's nicotine-free and tobacco-free. It's even sugar-free. 11 different long-cut flavors, four different CBD pouch flavors. Go to jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Use the promo code JESSE for 20% off. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Dave Reboy is going to come up next hour. He's been all over this, we're a dividing nation, we're breaking up kind of a concept. Dude's been on it for a long time. We'll talk about that today. I know you guys like that. I enjoy the heck out of that. But first, let's go back to the Taiwan white terror before I get to this Fat stack of Ask Dr. Jesse questions. World War II ends. And I find this period of time to be absolutely fascinating. And when I, when I say that, this period of time, what I mean is you have these major, major powers. America, Great Britain, the Soviet Union. And they come together after defeating these two terrible things, Japan and Germany, in World War II. And you just got done with not the biggest war ever, 
the largest event in world history ever by a mile, by a mile. It, the, the, the vastness of World War II is stunning. I've told you this before. I, I, as you know, I do a history segment at the beginning of every show. You could do what I do about only World War II for decades and not hit every single World War II story. They're just, I mean, I'm finding out new bits and pieces of it all the time about this battle here in this country you don't even know about and this spy here and this technology here. It just, it's amazing. So you just get done wrapping up the biggest event in the history of the world and now you're, you're Churchill, you're Truman, you're Stalin, you're looking around and thinking to yourself, well, what do we do now? How do we put how do we put the world back together again? The the money, the territory, the lives lost, the the, the uh, it's just staggering that even once it's done, you have to figure out how to how to put it all back together again. And they have to figure out how to divvy up certain things. You know, post World War II, we learned from the Treaty of Versailles after World War I, you don't necessarily want to just destroy the country that you just beat. But we told Japan, oh, yeah, uh, we're going to need you to go ahead and reduce that military by a significant amount. And all those territories you had had, yeah, they're not yours anymore. Go back to Japan and stay there. And Taiwan was part of that deal. The Allies simply said, thanks, but no thanks, Japan. You can pack up and leave now. This belongs to us. And the Allies gave it to the Republic of China. They essentially gave it to the nationalists because that's really what we wanted. A man named Chen Yi takes over. Don't worry about remembering that. I did, I don't, I'm not going to beat you over the face with Mandarin names. Chen Yi takes over this place. And this is part of the reason I, t- I talk about this post-World War II period being so fascinating. You don't have, in the craziness of all this, and the unprecedentedness, I know that's not a word, but I went to community college, so I just made it up on the show. The unprecedentedness of all this means you don't have enough quality people to fill critically important roles. Half of them are dead. Chen Yi takes over. It immediately steps in and says, okay, this is awesome. We're running this island now. This place is great. Um, oh, the industries China was running, or the Japan was running. We're going to run them now, too. We'll, we'll run them now, too. And they're screwing everything up pretty much immediately. And there's still a Chinese civil war going on. And that's part of the reason Chen Yi is screwing everything up, because instead of running Taiwan like an important hub that needs to go on and go on and go on and go on. You know, you're treasuring that little baby goose because it's going to grow up and have more geese for you one day. No, no. He just wraps his hands around the throat of it and starts choking that thing. They're squeezing every dime they can, every bit of resources they can out of Taiwan because the Chinese Civil War is getting so bad for the nationalists, they need all the help they can get. So what he did was partially understandable of, hey, we don't have a 10-year plan for Taiwan because we don't have 10 years. We need their stuff now. So part of it's understandable, but you still have a bunch of Taiwanese people there, Taiwanese people who were proud people, who did not appreciate getting crushed in this way. 
They're bleeding the island dry. And resentment is starting to grow with the Taiwanese people. They frankly, get this, how, much, how mismanaged must it have been? The Taiwanese people were begging for Japan back. Well, I, I didn't, it wasn't bad when the Japanese were here. Some sake bombs and whatnot. I don't know if they were actually doing sake bombs back then. I hope they were. What, Chris? I hope they were. Anyway, you know how the government had nationalized all the industries. So one of the industries they'd nationalized was the tobacco industry. So China was now running the tobacco industry. And you and I both know what happens when government nationalizes anything. They ruin the whole thing. Venezuela ran out of oil. The Venezuela is sitting. It's like on a big oil bubble. And they somehow ran out of it because the government nationalized it and just ruined everything. The same thing happened here. And China was very worried that the people were starting to smuggle in goods. Ah, uh, I want to go down and get a pack of cigarettes. Oh, okay, that'll be $90. What? Yeah, the government runs it. Or my buddy Bill, he may have just gotten a little shipload of cigarettes in. You give them to you for $10. That is, ha- that is what happens in societies whenever it gets too corrupt and too expensive and the government ruins too much. It just creates black markets. It's human nature. The black market for cigarettes in Taiwan was gigantic. I mean, this is the period of time where everybody smoked anyway, and no one can afford them in Taiwan because the government screwed up the whole industry. Well, like all governments, China didn't look at theirs and look at the the, the smuggling going on for, for cigarettes and say to itself, man, you know, we really must have screwed up if they're doing that. Let's figure out what we did wrong. Government is stupid and government only responds with force. So they start sending out tobacco patrols, armed men traveling around, hunting down people who are selling cigarettes illegally. And one night they find one. 40-year-old woman, widow, in a neighborhood that is a close-knit neighborhood. And remember, there's a lot of animosity already towards the Chinese. They bust this woman. She demands her cigarettes back. I'm sure she was getting lippy with it by the sounds of things. One of these dudes takes the butt of his rifle and bashes her over the head with it. Now, now these guys, it was their turn to feel fear. The neighborhood starts to pour out of their homes and surround these armed guards. And people are mad now, and people are out for blood now. The guards have to run for their lives, and as they're running away, end up shooting into the crowd and killing a totally innocent bystander. Now that was all it took. The entire place was a powder keg. Boom! Taiwan blows up. And I mean blows up. The citizens are coming out. In mass. I don't mean there was a protest with 100 people on the courthouse steps. I mean thousands and thousands and thousands of people are surrounding government buildings. Government is trying to call in some troops to, to, to fight the people off, and they're, they're, they're killing three or four at a time, but there are too many people the government can't handle it. So the government has no choice but to turtle up and make phone calls to the mainland saying, we need reinforcements now. We are losing control of Taiwan. It is a big, big, big problem. All right, I'm going to wrap up the story of the white terror here in just a second. We have asked Dr. Jesse questions all over the map today. Somebody wants to know, 
how the family handled it when we packed up and moved west with no job. You want to know? I'll tell you. Hang on. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. It is the world-famous Jesse Kelly Show. Somebody wants to know... How well do you have to know someone someone in order to make fun of their racial, cultural, religious differences? And you have come to the right place for that question. <laughs> it's the Jesse Kelly Show. You can find me on social media at Jesse Kelly DC on Twitter, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Locals. Remember, Locals is the one I can't get kicked off of. Let's finish up the story of the white terror in Taiwan. The Taiwanese people have had enough of this inept Chinese government. They take to the streets, putting it mildly. They're surrounding government buildings. They are angry. They are hostile. They actually storm a radio station and broadcast their message, which only increases their numbers. The government right now in Taiwan, as as we speak, well, as they were speaking at this moment, they are not in. They do not have operational control of the island anymore. Period. How about that? But they do know help is probably going to be on the way. Just wait. And these groups go from people angry. You know, you have your government sucks sign waving it on the waving it on the governor's mansion steps. To actual guerrilla groups are forming. They have this is military control of the island. But they just wait and wait and wait. The Chinese do. And eventually, just like I said, a real trained armed army arrives from the mainland. And by now, the the guerrilla groups that were forming were starting to fortify things and were starting to murder Chinese people whenever they could find them. The troops that arrive don't take any chances, and they don't take very many prisoners. They just start killing people. How many? 
4,000 of them. They show up, the troops show up and kill 4,000 Taiwanese people. But then martial law is declared. And something else happens, and now we're going to get into a little bit of an interesting moral dilemma as I wrap up this story here. The nationalists, remember the nationalists were fighting the communists in China? They lose, and they flee to Taiwan. Well, the nationalists flee to Taiwan, still a place where they can exist, have some kind of an economy. Chiang Kai-shek is running it now. They look around and think, well, I mean, that sucks. We lost China, but we have Taiwan. I mean, we did already declare martial law, and we really don't, we really don't want communism to rise here because we saw how it just destroyed our own country. We just lost a war. You know, this, this martial law actually doesn't sound that bad. Why don't we just keep it? And they kept it. And how long did they keep it? Till 1987. When it ended, when their martial law period ended, it was at that time, it's not anymore, but at that time it was the longest period of martial law in the history of the world. The nationalists took it over. And in the interest of keeping the communists out and suppressing the communists whenever they arose, they just kept martial law in place. What did that look like? Well, it wasn't a passive martial law, I'll put it to you that way. When I say kept it in place, Chiang Kai-shek was a man. I don't know if he was a great man. I don't know if he was a demon. I don't know. But he was not a man who liked communists. I know that much. Over this period of time, they imprisoned 140,000 people. They just flat out executed several thousand of them. It was not uncommon for them to just round up journalists and just shoot them all on the back of the head. College intellectuals, line them up, shoot them all on the back of the head. Human rights violations like you can't believe. And the reason I'm not focusing on one thing is here are the years of these various incidents. And some of these incidents are terrible. 1949, 52, 52, 53, 54, 60, 61, 72, 70. You get the idea now. How do these things look? I mean, sometimes there's a let us out of here. We don't want to live under martial law protest. 20 people, cops show up, 20 people, bye-bye, gone. Not necessarily killing them all, but arresting them, finished. How does it look? Well, a professor, maybe getting a little communistic for the martial law nationalists who run Taiwan now. He got arrested, and apparently they were asking some questions in a very hard manner. He didn't walk out of there alive. Now, I wanted to bring this up to you for a couple different reasons before I move on to the Ask Dr. Jesse questions today. I love questions like this because they create a real moral dilemma in me And in you, and I hope they do create some kind of moral dilemma in you, I don't think anybody or very many people out there would defend a 30-plus-year martial law fascist takeover of an island where you're lining up students and shooting them in the back of the head. That's indefensible, right? It is. It's indefensible. 
How's Taiwan doing today? How's Taiwan doing today? Pretty freaking good. Pretty freaking good. They have since apologized several times once once the information on the white terror finally came out. They're issuing public letters. And obviously it's not, it's not, it's not something they're proud of. Hey, remember that time we killed like 4,000 people? Like They're not doing that. So, yeah, good for them. But let me ask you, how do you feel about it? Because you understand this. When I, t- when I say things like there's going to be a fascist rise on the right, and I say it's going to come sooner rather than later, and he's going to rise because he's going to be an answer to the radicalism of the left, what I get is a bunch of emails from people and phone calls from people of, yeah, I can't wait. Hold on on that. When I say it's coming, that doesn't, one, mean I'm cheering for it. It just means I see it coming. And two, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I think it's going to be fun, man. You understand that it's fun to tell these historical stories about uh, Augusto Pinochet chucking commies out of helicopters. And I realize because we are so anti-communist, deep down inside, in places you're never going to talk about at parties, to use a few good man quote, but deep down inside, you're cheering when you hear about it. Yeah, screw those commies. Get out the helicopter. But you understand life under fascism is not good, right? I mean, that's not healthy. Is it better than communism? Well, everything's better than communism, but it's still not how you want to live. Freedom is really the way you want to live. And the reason I warn about this so much, this fascist takeover and stuff like that, I want you to, I want you to, I want to be clear about this. It's not because I want it. It's because I want the current right, the current GOP, current right, current Libertarian Party, whatever portion of the right you're in, I want them to know it is their weakness that is going to bring this fascist about because the people will find someone who protects them. So when I warn of it, what I want is the right to wake up, grow a spine, and say, no, we can't risk that happening. Let's fight for the people so they don't choose that route. The problem is people on the right still don't get it. The leaders of the right still don't get it. Very few of them do. You see a couple. Heavy D has been great about this. And I don't know what this guy believes because I don't know him personally. But he clearly understands the mood of the right. He clearly understands it is time to be in your face and give our party some teeth. And I support that because I don't want to live under fascism, nor should you. But did it work out that badly for Taiwan? Not necessarily. All right, we got Dave Reboy coming up next hour. It's time for Ask Dr. Jesse. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. 
It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Banacaram here to announce a new season of our show in retrospect. Which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart. From the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan-loving Golden Girls. Listen to In Retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 